couple of weeks ago uh, in August, Pastor Rusty and I went to uh, Rio Dosa. Um, we teach there. Uh, pastor's been teaching there for about 17, 18 years, uh, going to Rio Dosa. It's a Christian school called Jesus Chapel out of El Paso, and they go to Rio Dosa for a retreat, and it kind of kicks off their school year, and they take just their high school uh, kids up there. And so he's been going up there and doing that, and so I went with him this year. And uh, one of the I taught one of the nights, and uh, I taught on the, a message about the Red Sea. Uh, now, obviously, the Red Sea, if you've been in church for very long, you know that that's the sea that Moses split, right, and the Israelites went through. Uh, I did a little research, and it actually is red. Uh, a red algae grows on the bottom of it and can make it look red or brown. Uh, actually, you can get online. You ought to Google it this afternoon, the Red Sea, and there's some pictures of it. When it's blue and it's, like, crystal clear, you can see all the way to the bottom and sand, and it's beautiful. I think we should all, like, take a trip there, you know, uh, to, to go visit the Red Sea. It looks amazing. And so uh, I, we went there and we taught one of the nights and I taught on the Red Sea and I taught about uh, kind of being backed into a corner. And uh, th- through an event of uh, some of the students in our youth group, some of the kids we know uh, that came to us and were really struggling with their senior year, going into their senior year and they were worried and they're like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this year. And it's like, they're smart kids. You know, I know they're not worried about grades. I know they're not worried about, you know, things like that, but they're just stressed out and they're, they're anxious and they're nervous about getting through their senior year. And to me, it's like, I could just see immense pressure on them. And so I wanted to go and take this message to these kids uh, from El Paso and kind of teach it to them that there's a lot of times in our lives that we feel backed into a corner, right? And you feel backed up against a wall, like you've got no way out. You've got nowhere to turn. You've got nowhere to go. It could be financial pressure, pressure in your marriage, pressure in relationships, pressure from family, uh, pressure from a job, you know, and you just feel somehow that you are inadequate and like, man, I'm in trouble. I'm not going to get out of this situation. It can be, you know, we can have pressure from, from small events in our lives, things that we don't want to go do, you know, uh, obligations. If I've, I've got to go do this, you know, this weekend, and man, I don't want to go do that. And we feel pressure from it. And our lives can be filled uh, with pressure. Uh, when, when I was younger, we moved to Tulia when I was about 10 years old. Uh, we would drive back and forth on Sundays from Plainview. That's where we lived. Uh, when dad would preach, uh, you know, on Sundays, and then we would go back home. And we had a, a house. Uh, we had a shed out in the backyard. It was kind of a bigger shed. It had like a loft up in the top and then two big doors on the front. You know, and the mowers were in there and, you know, the Christmas decorations were in there. And there was a workbench up against the wall. And we had two dogs. We had a yellow lab named Max uh, that was like like the most amazing dog ever. And we had a black lab named Rolly. Now, Rolly, we got from some friends of ours. Uh, and Rolly was kind of chained up in their backyard. I, I don't know that they were really abusive to this dog, but I, I think this dog was just like neglected, right? Chained up in the backyard. Nobody ever spent much time with it. Nobody ever really played with this dog, but it was a good dog. But at the same time, this dog was aggressive. This was kind of a mean dog. This was a territorial dog. And so at night, the dogs would go into the shed and they had beds in there and that's where they would sleep, you know, when it was cold and stuff. And so one time uh, we were working in the yard or doing something up front on the house. I believe dad uh, was working. Uh, he had other jobs that, that he did in the early years of, of the church. Uh, and so he was, he was at a, a different job. And m- mom and Ashley and I, we were working. And I, mom sent me to the shed to get a rake or something for the front yard. And so I went back to the backyard and I went into this shed. And I walk in, I'm looking for something I can't find, even what I'm looking for. And I'm probably, you know, eight years old, seven years old. 
And when I turn around to leave, that black lab is standing in the doorway, and he's kind of growling and snarling and showing his teeth and beginning to get very aggressive because I'm in his territory. That's where he sleeps. And then the other dog, our yellow lab, Max, I can remember him looking at that black lab kind of funny, like, what are you doing? And so, you know, very quickly, it's like I was backed up into a corner. Uh, There's no other doors. There was no other way out but straight through that dog. There was a little side window, but I... I mean, there's no way I could have got up onto the workbench and opened that window and, you know, and got out in time. And so I'm kind of, you know, you know, those few seconds feel like, you know, 20 minutes, you know, you feel like you have an eternity to think, like, what am I going to do? So I kind of just start kind of hollering like, you know, mom, you know, mom, you know, trying to get her attention. She comes back and, and, and for some reason she shows up with a sledgehammer and I don't know if it was for me or for the dog, uh, but she showed up with a sledgehammer and it's like, oh, oh man, you know, this poor dog's about to get it. And so she just walks right through those those two dogs, and when she comes into the room, uh, th- that dog quit, and I'm sure he saw that sledgehammer and thought, I, this isn't about to happen. And so he, he ran off. And and in that moment, you know, I kind of felt backed into this corner like I had no way out. I had nowhere to go. I had no escape from this situation, right? And many of us feel the same way. And, you know, mom shows up with a sledgehammer ready to beat a dog to death. And, and, and luckily, we didn't, that didn't have to happen. That didn't have to go down. And, and a lot of times in our lives, this is how we feel. And Exodus 14, verse 14 says, the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Now, number one, I love this verse. And, and I've loved this verse for a, a long time. Uh, I've read it before in church, and I read this down there. And, and as I was studying and getting ready for that message uh, in Rio Dosa, something so amazing. Like, if you read a verse, and you're like, oh, man, I love this verse. This is my verse. You know, I, I love this verse. Always read the full chapter that it's in. Right, this is Exodus 14, so I would read all of chapter 14, read verse thir- you know, chapter 13, and then chapter 15, because it gives you kind of an idea of where that verse is in the Bible, right? And so as I begin to read this whole chapter, I've, I've looked this verse up on its own, you know, like Googled it, like, oh, verses about God fighting for you, and that jumped up, and I just grabbed it and used it before, and I had never read what was before and what was after it, and when I was studying for Riadosa, I read what was after this, what's in verse 15 and 16, and my mind was just blown, right? I was like, oh my gosh, the placement of this verse is so insane. Jeremiah 29, 11, which is on the wall, and it says that, you know, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. If you read that whole chapter, Jeremiah, who's a prophet who gives that word, gives it to the Israelites while they're in captivity, right, to Babylon, and they're in slavery. And he's like, hey, guys, God's got a good plan. And I'm saying the guy in the back row was like, we're in slavery. And it's like, no, God's got a good plan. And so this verse is kind of the same way. It's this amazing verse, but until we kind of really discover where it is in the Bible and its placement, we really don't understand its full power and what God is saying right here. So what we're going to do is we're going to back up to Exodus 13, verse 17. Now, if you don't know anything about Exodus, Exodus is about uh, Moses delivering the Israelites out of captivity and slavery from Egypt, right? And so the first half of the book is about him getting them out. We know God sends 10 plagues, you know, turns the water to blood, locusts, boils. You know, he kills the firstborn uh, of the Egyptians, and he tells the uh, Israelites, you know, there's a whole— uh, 
section in like 12 and 13 about how to kill a, a lamb, to kill a lamb, cook it, and then they take the blood and they paint it on their doorposts. So when an angel comes that night and kills the firstborns, he knows I don't go in the house where the blood is painted. Now, that's a whole other message in itself. But that's the whole first part of this book. We know the second half is Moses goes to Mount Sinai, he gets the Ten Commandments, and we go through the ending of Exodus. And so right here where we're jumping in is the ten plagues have already happened. God had just killed the firstborn of all the Egyptians, and Pharaoh's son dies, okay? And when that happens, he tells Moses, fine, you can leave, right? Take your people and get out, okay? And so that's where we're jumping in here in verse 13, uh, or, or excuse me, verse 17, chapter 13. It says, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though it was the shortest route to the promised land. God said if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Now we're going to pause just right here for a moment. We're going to kind of uh, chase a rabbit. That's kind of an old church term when a pastor would jump off topic and, and do something else called chasing a rabbit. You can see right here where it says God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though it was the shortest route to the promised land. Now, the Philistines were longtime rivals of the Israelites. Uh, they did not like each other. You remember the story of David and Goliath? Goliath was a Philistine, right? And he was mocking the Israelites, and we know that David killed him. And he says, I, he, God said, I'm not going to do that because if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt, a lot of times in our lives, we feel like, hey, God, here's what I need, and I can see it right down this road, right? And here's the shortest, best route, but God, you're telling me to go this direction. And he's saying, hey, there's the Philistines over here, the enemy is over here, and I don't think you're ready to face that battle, and so I need to send you another way. Right? The New Living Translation, this chapter is tiled, the Israelites' detour, God sends them another way because he knows they're not ready for the battle ahead. He knows that they're not ready to handle the Philistines. And if they are, they might go back. They might just turn around and go back to Egypt. And a lot of times in your life, you think, well, I can see this route perfectly laid out. But God says, no, I'm seeing the bigger picture. And there's something over here that I'm not ready for you to take on. And so I need you to go around. Right? Have you ever gone anywhere and you've, you've used, uh, you know, GPS, you know, like on your phone, like the Google, you know, maps or Apple maps, right? And you start going and then you're like, this isn't the right way. Like, right, your instincts kind of kick in and you're like, ah, I don't know if I trust this lady. My dad's the worst. Anytime I use that stinking thing, dad's like, no, nope, that, that ain't the right way. It's like, dude, would you please just trust this woman? She knows where she's going. So we went to Plano a couple of weeks ago for a conference and Plano's kind of on the other side of Dallas. And we're going and we pull into like, oh, Decatur somewhere. And dad's like, hey, let's pull over, put the address into our hotel. So before we get into the city, we already have it in. So we pull over and then you'll put it in. And she's telling us to turn around and get on the interstate and go back the other way. And it's like, nope, home's that way. Dallas is that way. We need to go this way. And I'm like, well, you know, she's saying to go this way. And it's like, well, that's not the way to go. And, you know, you know, at that point, you're like, let's just throw the phone out the window and just move on with our lives. So, you know, you back up really quick and you try to get this bird's eye view of this map. And it's like, oh, she's going to drop us down and then shoot us across so we don't have to go through Dallas. 
right? And even though in our instincts it felt like this isn't the right way to go, it was the better way to go, right? A lot of times in your life you're telling God, God, this isn't the right way to go, but God's saying, I have a better way to go, right? It may not look right, and God's saying, hey, the Philistines are over here. I don't want you going this way. I want you to go around. And so always know that God has a better way. Verse 18, it says, so God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Now it says like an army. The original says that they left in formations of an army. So what does that mean? That means that like you watch the movies and they're just this long train of people and they're walking and pushing wheelbarrows. That's not what they looked like. The Bible says that Moses put them in ranks as of military and they marched out of Egypt. Now the Israelites were not sick. They weren't all beat up. They weren't all, it says that they were healthy. The Bible talks about how they were healthy, but they had been slaves they were not soldiers. And so I don't want that term to throw you off like an army ready for battle. It just means that they left in the formations of army. They didn't just all just randomly walk. And so it says they left like an army ready for battle. Uh, verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear to do this. He said, God will certainly come help you. When he does, you must take the bones with you, take my bones with you from this place. Now, here's what you have to understand. The Israelites are in captivity in Egypt. They're slaves for 300 years. America was declared independent July 4th, 19, or 1776, excuse me, 1776, 241 years ago. We would still be in slavery for another 59 years before Moses shows up. That's how long they were in captivity, right? 300 years. I would die a slave. I'd be in my late 80s, probably as a slave. You know, you've heard the term, you know, they worked me like a Hebrew slave. That's what they're talking about. And, and if that were the case, I probably wouldn't live into my 90s, right? Now, Annie would grow up and she would see, right, Moses show up. But even she, she's only, uh, you know, about to be two. I mean, another, you know, 51 years or whatever, you know, 50 years. is. I mean, she'd be in her 50s when it happened. Uh, she would probably have kids, and so what I want you to get is this guy tells him, he says, I'm going to die, but God's coming. And when he does, you put my bones in a bag and take them with you because I don't want to be buried in Egypt. Then just think about that for a minute. This guy's like, I know I'm going to die a slave, but God is coming. The faith that this man had that, hey, God is coming. And when he does, you pack up my bones and take them. Take them with you. I'm just blown away by this guy's faith. That he, he so knows that God's coming, and he's not even bugged that he's not going to get to see it. He's not like, well, man, I'm going to miss it. God's going to show up and do something. He's like, no, nope, when he does, pack, throw my bones in a backpack and get me out of here. Right? Because I don't want to be buried here. And so I want to encourage you with that, just that faith that he had to, you know, take my bones with you from this place. Verse 20, the Israelites left Sokoth and camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. Now, this is the end of chapter 13. So we see where God is leading them with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And he does it so they can travel in the day or they can travel in night. Now, we jump into chapter 14. Now, the verse I just read to you was Exodus 14, verse 14. And so we're going to 
Jump into Exodus 14, verse 1, and we're going to read all the way to 14. It says, Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp by Pahathron between Migal and the sea. Camp there along the shore, across from Balsaphon. Then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. They are trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, after this the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there as they were told. So here's what God's doing. God says, hey, I want you to you know, drive to Silverton. Then I want you to drive to Crest, then Happy, and then Camp in Tulia. And that makes the enemy think like, them boys are lost. They don't know where they're going, right? So he's just kind of zigzagging them back and forth to all these different spots and then camping. So Pharaoh thinks they're lost. They don't know where they're going. And God, we already know, sent them a different way. It's like, this is the way to the promised land, but they went this way. So Pharaoh thinks like, they don't even know where they're going, right? And so he sends them a different way. Now look what God says. And, and, he, and he says, uh, and once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after you. Don't you think like Moses is sitting down with God and all of a sudden God's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. Y'all are going to go camp over here. I want you to zigzag back and forth so they think you're lost. Then I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart and he's going to chase you and this is my plan. And Moses is like, whoa, time out, back up. And it's like, what'd you miss? The harden Pharaoh's heart and him chase this whole thing. And, and like, why are we doing that? Like, what's, what's the big plan there? And it's like, oh, yeah, Pharaoh's army is going to, you know, it's the Egyptian army. They're massive. I mean, it's not like, oh, you guys are going to go make bow and arrows and you're going to fight them. No, it's like there would be no battle, right? And God says, I'm going to harden his heart and he's going to chase after you. And Moses has said, do you see the group of people I got? Right? You know, the Israelites, all through the Old Testament, complain 24-7 about everything. Right? You know, God gives them manna from heaven, and they're mad because they don't have strawberry jelly. I mean, they're just mad about everything all the time. Moses has to be like, you're going to send him to chase us because this is your great plan? I mean, he has to just be like, what are you talking about? Verse 5 says, when word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. They're like, well, time out. What have we done letting those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariots, called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. Now, we're going to take a minute here. Now, I want you to understand something. I did a little research on Egyptian chariots. All right, A chariot, obviously, you know, was two wheels and a platform, and two horses were harnessed to it. He took 600 of his best. That's 1,200 horses. 1,200 horses of the best, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt. Okay, a chariot had two men on it. One drove the horses, one had a bow and arrow and shot. They said that back then that riding a horse and shooting a bow, obviously you're not very accurate on horseback. But because a chariot was flat, that on relatively flat ground, that an archer was way more accurate. And that it was a great way to flank, to swing around, that you could outrun soldiers because you have horses. And that it was a great tactic uh, by the Egyptians and that it made them almost invincible in their time, right? It almost made them in, invincible. Uh, some scholars say that it's kind of like having tanks. They said not quite as the same because uh, of the, you know, how tough a tank is, but back then it was almost equivalent to having a tank. So one, could you imagine the sound of 1,200 horses? 
If you've ever been out in the country and you've heard horses run, even just four or five of them, three or four run, and you can hear, you know, their hooves pounding on the ground, right? Could you imagine a thousand, two hundred? And that's just the, the best. Now, there's no telling how they don't give a number for the second amount. You think that, you know, they all go in this big circle of the Israelites and, and they go camp by the Red Sea. They're down on, you know, beautiful beach, clear water, man, we're free, hallelujah. And you think somebody said, do y'all hear thunder? No, they haven't begun a day, a day. They've slept one night, got up and thought, oh man, it feels good to be free. Is there a storm coming? A thousand two hundred horses. I can't even imagine the sound of the chariots, of the wheels. Can you imagine just harnessing all those horses up to chariots? And you know, like, you know, go round up the horses and y'all get them all harnessed up and we're going to go kill the Israelites. I mean, just, I mean, just the, the massiveness of this. And they have to think like, my God, do y'all, do y'all hear, do y'all hear thunder? And then verse eight, it says, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So he chased after the people of Israel who had left uh, with fists raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, the whole army. It gets everybody. He's like, get everybody, chariots, air force, get them all. Get them all out here. We're, we're going after them with everybody. And they don't need that. They don't, I mean, they're slaves. They got no weapons, no training. He didn't need all this. And he says, so uh, the Egyptians chased after them with all the forces of Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore near Pihathron, across from Balsaphon. And Pharaoh approached the approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? Why have you done this to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you that this would happen while we were still in Egypt? You know, we still had a chance. We said, leave us alone and let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. And the, you know, think back up for a minute. All right. Moses shows up and says, Hey guys, you know, and they knew the prophecy. They knew this was going to happen. That's why Joseph said, God's coming, right? Because all the prophets have been saying, you're going to be delivered, right? And so they knew that this was going to happen. They knew that God was going to send a deliverer, that Moses was going to, they didn't know it'd be Moses, but they knew God was going to come. Shows up and says, Hey guys, uh, I'm here to deliver you. Uh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh's like, no, forget it. So locusts show up, and he's like, no, forget it, I don't care. So God turns the Nile to blood. Pharaoh's still like, no, forget it. You know, they get boils all over their skin. He sends fire from heaven. He turns, you know, he kills all the firstborns. And finally, Pharaoh's, you know, don't think the Israelites are like, dude, God's got this. Like, the whole fire, blood, water, dead babies, like, God's going to take care of us. Right? But they freak out. Right? So many times when you're backed up in a corner and you got no way out, you start panicking. You start yelling at God. God, what'd you do? Why'd you bring me here? Why'd you bring me out here to die? And then Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. Verse 14, the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. You know, they're panicking. They start freaking out. They start yelling at Moses. And Moses is like, guys, just stand still, watch God fight for you. Just relax, stay calm. Don't you think they were like, stay calm, stay calm? Do you not see what's coming? The horses, the chariots, the archers, we're gonna die. This is it. 
Uh, you know, they, they all, all through the whole time of trying to get to the promised land, they're like, man, we, we should have gone back to Egypt. You know, not too long ago, Ashley did a, a series uh, on Ruth and talked about how that Ruth left with Naomi to go back to Bethlehem from Moab, right? And how that, that, that you need to leave Moab, right? You got to leave your depression, your anger, your suffering, your, your uh, you know, whatever's holding you back, wherever Moab is for you, your, your faithlessness, right? You know, that I don't believe in God. I'm not doing this whole thing. And you've got to go back to Bethlehem. And the second you get out of the gate, you're like, well, I'm just going to go back. Forget this. This is too hard. This is too tough. This, ah, oh, ah, oh, look how far the walk is. Right? We see the same thing with the Israelites, and they're backed up against the Red Sea. They've got nowhere to go. They're boxed in down in this canyon, and there's Pharaoh. In the old movie, uh, The Ten Commandments, uh, the guy who plays Pharaoh, when they ride up on the hill, he says, he says, Moses' God would make a bad general because he boxed them in. It's going to be a slaughter. This is going to be a piece of cake. There's nowhere for them to go. And God says in verse 14, the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Verse 15, he tells Moses, walk out into the water and put your staff in so your people can walk across on dry ground. Now think about the placement of this verse. That right before Moses splits the Red Sea, God says, dude, relax. All right? Just stay calm. You know, you know, do you ever, do you ever bit bugged when people are like, can you calm down? You know, like my wife doesn't like that. Like when, when people tell her to calm down, she's getting loud. Like, you know, babe, you, you need to calm down. Calm, you know, I, I'm, I'm bad about that. Like in public, you know, like you're in Barnes and Nobles and they're like, you're, hey, you know, Kurt, you're kind of yelling. Yelling? I'm yelling. You're going to think yelling, you know, right? You know, and it's like, you, you need to calm down. Calm, calm. Am I not calm? Right? You know, you kind of, you kind of like, you, you freak out. And that, that's what they had to feel like. You know, and, and then Moses, Stephen said this. Moses should have been like, dude, we are done. And we're not getting out of this one. Nice knowing you. Right? I, I mean, it's like, but he says, all right, guys, the Lord will fight for us. Just stay calm. And then God tells him, go out into the Red Sea and put your staff in it and split it so your people can walk across on dry ground. See, a lot of times you're boxed into a corner, you're boxed up against the wall, you got no way out, and it's impossible. There's no escape for you, right? But it, that, that splitting the Red Sea wasn't an option, okay? It wasn't something that you just did, right? The Israelites weren't like, hey, Moses, uh, you know, have you ever heard of Elisha? I think he split a river or something. Why don't you just split the Red Sea? And like, we'll walk across, you know, or, or, or somebody build a boat real quick. There was no options, right? This wasn't a thing of like, oh, let's split the Red Sea, right? This wasn't common. Nobody did this. I mean, don't you think when he's walking out into the water, they're like, Moses has lost his mind. He's going to swim across. He's in, he's nuts, what are we going to do? And, and Pharaoh's coming down. Can you imagine just the cloud of dirt following behind 600 chariots? And he walks out and he sticks that staff in the water and that water splits, right? And they start walking across. He says, come on, we're going right across on dry ground. And they walk across. And I love how he says, he says, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again, right? He's being prophetic. He, Moses doesn't know the game plan. God didn't show him everything. He just knows God's going to come through. Just like you ought to know that God's going to come through for you. 
right? See, back then in the Old Testament, it was based on your performance. It was based on how good you are. But because of the blood of Jesus, now it's not about how good you are, but how good he is, right? And it's not about what I have to do or how I have to be this good person because you stink at being good, right? I, I stink at it. I'm, I'm like, oh, I'll just be good. That's not gonna, that's not gonna happen, Right? We're not just good people, but because of the blood of Jesus, God is going to get you out of uh, the situation that you're backed up into, just like he did the Israelites. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. You have to understand that God goes with you, that God goes ahead of you. That God is with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. I think about walking through your daily life knowing that God is ahead of me. That if I'll just listen, if I'll take time and, and hear the Holy Spirit speak to me and hear the Spirit of God, that God goes before me and that God is ahead of me, right? That God loves me, that God has chosen me. And, and, and that he goes, I mean, I just love the placement. The Lord himself will fire it for you. Just stay calm. And then the next verse is like, hey, go split the Red Sea. He goes out and he splits it. They run across. They get across to the other side. And Pharaoh comes down and his chariots, they go right through it. Now, I'm just saying, if it's me, I'm Pharaoh. You roll up on the Red Sea and it's split in half. It's like, guys, we're not going through that. You know, like, you've seen this before? I, you know. I never seen nothing. I mean, can you imagine the side of that? Like you go up and the ocean's split in half. We can walk across and I can see a whale in the side. I mean, it's like, I'm, I'm not going in there. I'm afraid of the water enough as it is. Right now, I love to swim, but I, I don't like water where it's like, you don't know what's down there, right? You know, it's like, there ain't nothing in Lake McKenzie, but it's like, you never know what's in Lake McKenzie. I mean, they got like skulls in the marina stuff that was in there. It, it kind of just, ugh, it's eerie. You know, you ever, you ever cliff jump out there and you're not supposed to, but we do it anyway. <laughs> and you jump, you know, and like a tree branch rubs your leg and you're like, yep, this is it. This is, that's teeth right there. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm done. You know, until you roll up on the ocean, split in half and Pharaoh's like, let's go. And it, I mean, those guys had to be like, Pharaoh, it says that his, his advisor said, Pharaoh's lost his mind. He's nuts. So they go into it, and Moses said right before that, he said, like, you'll never see them again. They all get perfectly down in there, and then God closes it. I did some research on it, and they said recently that they have found chariots at the bottom of the Red Sea. That They found a wheel of an Egyptian chariot at the bottom of the Red Sea. And, like, this is just recently. You can look it up. And God wiped them out. The first praise song ever recorded in the Bible happens right after that. And the Israelites break in this song about how God throws horses into the seeds. Some crazy song, you know. Because of what they just sing. They, they start singing, worshiping, you know, because God has delivered them from the Egyptians. And it says the Lord himself will go before you. I want you to know that if you're backed into a corner, if you're backed up against the wall, you feel like you got no way out, 
God is on the verge of splitting the Red Sea for you. And just as we sang this morning that you split the sea so I could walk right through it, that's exactly what this is talking about. And I believe that that is such a song of confession that I speak over my life that, God, you are splitting the sea. You are splitting my depression. You are splitting my anger. You are splitting my broken relationship because we're going to walk right through this. Right, And we're going to get to the other side, and then you're going to drown everything behind me. Right? Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden I give you is light. Now, a yoke is, uh, if you don't know this, a yoke is like a piece of wood uh, that they would put across ox and it would harness them to a plow, right? And then you know that the ox would go pull a plow and that was a yoke. And so what he's saying here is come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and kind at heart. And what I love about this, he says, take my yoke. He doesn't say, hey, just get rid of that yoke and we're not going to work anymore. He says, take my yoke. There is work to be done, right? Moses had to step out into that water and put that staff in the water and watch God split it. There was work to be done on his part, right? Christianity isn't this thing that you're going to step into and now God's just going to take care of my life, right? Most of the time, what we do to God when we pray is, is we're like, oh, God, right? Please do something in my life. God, where are you? And God says, uh, the same uh, spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Like Jesus said, I've given you all authority. I've given you the power. Now you defeat your enemies. Right? If I gave Billy a brand new car today and then he came up to me and said, I need to ride home. I would say, bro, I just gave you a car. Right? Drive yourself home. Right? And God's saying, I've given you power. I've given you authority. Right? I love how Moses went out and put his staff in the water. Moses had a part to play in the miracle. Right? You have a part to play in your miracle. And you have to step out in faith. And you have to step out into the water. And, you know, when you get backed up and you start to hear seagulls, right? And you start to smell salt water. And you look back and there's the ocean. You got to think, it's my time to step in and begin to split this water. Right? And allow God to work through through me, right? And what did pastor say last week? We're not going to worry. We're going to pray, right? We're going to thank God for what he's done and tell him what we need, right? We see Moses do this all the time. It's like, guys, hasn't God come through us before? He's saying, hey, remember what God's done. Hey, God's going to continue to come through for us. We're telling God what we need. And then, whoa, the water splits. God shows up and moves, and he's going to do the exact same thing in your life. You just have to trust him and walk in faith. Right now, what I love here is Moses stepped in faith. The Israelites are like, we're going to die. But Moses stepped out in faith, right? It's your faith, not the people around you. Amen? All right, bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray that... You would give us the boldness and the courage to step out into the water. You would give us the boldness and the courage to step out in faith and to to move when you say to move, Father. I pray right now that you are working through us, that you are encouraging us, you are lifting us up. Father, you would give us the boldness and the faith that Moses had. That, Father, when we feel backed into a corner, when we feel there's no way out, when we feel hopeless, Father, that we know that we can just stand still and be calm because you're fighting for us and that you are 
are on our side and that if you are for us, who could stand against us? And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.